ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these go to 11. Once again, Nathan Bell here as your host. For the rest of this podcast, I will be known as Bell, and we'll explain that in just a minute. <laughs> we also have uh, Greg joining us again. Greg, say hello to everyone out there. Hello, everyone out there. Our Alaskan pastor, Jeff. Jeff, say hello. Hello. And we also have two newbies joining us today. We have Nathan from Alaska and Mark from here in Maryland. I'm going to give them a chance to introduce themselves. But first, just want to let you guys know we are in our Hot Topic Month. So today we are discussing Young Earth, Older Theory um, from the Bible. Um, So I want to give uh, Nathan up there in Alaska a chance to just kind of introduce himself, let him know how he's connected with Jeff and what's going on. So Nathan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. My name is Nathan Schneider. I, uh, I've been here at uh, Anchorage Grace Church for two years now as a pastor that oversees worship ministries, as well as a lot of other things, uh, dealing with tech and, and, and uh, media stuff. Um, but my main, my main job is, uh, is worship, as well as I teach uh, an Old Testament class. I'm a graduate of the Master's Seminary, have a, uh, an MDiv, as well as a THM in Old Testament, and uh, have been up here for, like I said, two years, um, joined Jeff uh, in the, the ministry up here. So from from Alaska, I've been here since uh, 16 or so. So I love the state, love uh, love um, just being up in uh, the great north. I love the cold uh, and I love uh, just everything about here. So it was a blessing to be able to uh, come back to Alaska after I thought I had left for good. So it's, <laughs> it's good to be back up here and to be doing what God's called me to do in ministries. That's great. Um, do you have any family up there? I do. Uh, married my my wife uh, in, right after our first year, my first year in seminary. Uh, so wife is, is here with, and we've got two little boys, a two, a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh, so life is busy. Wow. <laughs> two-year-old and a three-year-old. Yeah. Wow. Not as busy as Jeff's. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know. It's up there. Yeah, well, I mean, Jeff <laughs> went ahead and had six kids. You know, I mean, wow, bro. You've set the bar high, Jeff. I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, you're going to come up to Alaska, you have to have a big brood. You got to have a big family just to stay warm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Nathan. And we have Mark joining us from here in Maryland. Mark, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, am the executive pastor here at Christ Fellowship. Uh, got to know Greg about 10 years ago through a mutual friend. And, uh, you know, two years ago, ended up moving up here uh, from Northern Virginia to step in as the executive pastor. Um, and I do need to uh, mention, Greg mentioned my wife and I a couple weeks ago on the podcast. That's right. And uh, said I had made the claim we never had an argument. Uh, yeah, that quote cost an argument. In my <laughs> so I would Wait. like to set the record straight. We have argued. I think the correct quote is we don't fight much. Okay. Yes. Uh, there have been arguments. Yes. Uh, some that I have not won. Yes. Uh, no, but I have a wife, uh, three kids. Uh, Melissa's my wife. Uh, three kids who are 10, 7, and 5. And uh, we're enjoying being back up in Bel Air, uh, which is not far from where I grew up. That's great. Thank and dude, you. Uh, just if I can say, I make no distinction between fights or arguments. So in, in our house, they're one and the same. Uh, you know, tomato, tomato. Uh, but just the fact that you guys, when you say, we don't really fight, I'm like, what? Is that like a thing? That's an actual thing? Uh, so anyway, yeah. Sorry to cause a 
disagreement. <laughs> way, way to stir up dissension in the home, Greg. Prefer- exactly. That's, <laughs> that's one of my gifts. term is. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's one of my gifts. Uh, so we're going to go ahead. We're going to get started. Um, just to let everyone out there know, um, Jeff and Nathan joining us from Alaska, they are going to be taking the Young Earth position. Um, so their defense is going to be at uh, Young Earth uh, creation, um, literal six days. Um, and we have Greg and Mark who are going to be taking an old earth position. Um, and so we're going to let them get started. Just, uh, basic ground rules. Um, Mark and Greg, you guys are going to go first. I'm going to give you five minutes to lay out your position. So you're going to work together to decide how you want to do that. Um, and I think you've already done that. Cool. Um, and then I will let, uh, Nathan and Jeff go ahead and give your position. Um, and just, def- you're, you're just, again, defending, uh, laying out your position in these first five minutes. Then after that, I'm going to turn it over to, uh, Nathan and Jeff to continue and, and, you know, in a brotherly, brotherly like way, dismantle, uh, uh, Greg and Mark's arguments. And, uh, we'll just go, go head back and forth. Um, so you'll each get about three minutes in the counter arguments. Um, again, if you need to take, uh, you know, a little bit more time, that's fine. No problem. I will let you know when you have 30 seconds left. Um, if you're in the middle of a sentence, finish your sentence and then we'll move on. So if there are any, can I ask a clarifying question? Yes, go ahead, Mark. Jeff at the outset here, just how young is your young earth? Oh, good, good. Are you saying how young is my young earth in terms of my perspective with Genesis and yeah. How, how many years old is this earth you were calling? Well, I, yeah, I don't know that I would get that precise. I think that, uh, the general idea in my mind is seven to 10,000 years. Okay. Okay. Sure. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, starting from that position. All right. So I will go ahead. Uh, Greg, Mark, you are free to begin unless there are any other questions from either side. All right, guys, why don't you go ahead and go? I'm taking a look at the clock. Great. You're up. Here we go. I feel like we should have Jeopardy music or something. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> That'll put the pressure on. <laughs> I, uh, this is Greg. I'm going to say a couple of words. Uh, when people think of me, they don't exactly think of the embodiment of scientific knowledge. So <laughs> I am uh, going to avoid matters of science. Uh, probably I will. Mark has a better grasp of those, I think, than I do. I just wanted to say on a, on a personal note that... When I came to Christ, I was 16. Uh, First church I got into, I remember learning the basics of salvation, the death of Christ, faith in him alone, those sorts of things. And at some point, I don't exactly remember when, I just remember reading Genesis and asking other older Christians questions about creation. And one of the things I picked up early on was that a Christian believes that God created the earth in six days uh, meaning literal 24-hour days. So I rolled with that just for years. And it wasn't until I got to seminary that I had a uh, professor, Dr. Robert Vinoy, uh, who just threw out for consideration, he, he didn't really argue either way, that a number of biblically sound Orthodox believers, uh, whether that's J.I. Packer, Gleason Archer, uh, Chuck Colson, other guys, were open to the concept of a much older Earth that would be more in keeping with scientific theory. That was new to me. So I was just going to say the verse that grabbed me was in Genesis 2, 4, when this uh, is a summary account of the entire six days of creation, uh, when it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day. And 
you know, that Hebrew word is yom, uh, which is sort of the lightning rod uh, uh, term on this. What is a yom? What is a day? But that, most would agree, is used figuratively because it's summarizing all six days with the term day. So I had always been told that, yeah, you can find an obscure reference here or there where the word day is used for something uh, you know, having to do with a longer period of time, like the day of the Lord that the prophets talk about. Probably not a literal 24-hour day, but a period of time of God's reckoning. Um, but here, my professor pointed out that even in the context of the Genesis account, the word yom is used in a non-literal sense. So that's sort of what got me thinking. And then, Mark, take it from there. Yeah, I think um, similar story in a lot of ways. Um, you know, that I met Christ in high school. I think came to Christ thinking, well, a young earth, six 24-hour day creation is kind of what you're supposed to believe, so that's cool. Um, and rolled with that for a while. I was... Uh, and here, I don't want to flash my impressive credentials too much here, but uh, I have <laughs> three years of a chemistry degree from the University of Maryland and uh, got out of chemistry right before they kicked me out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if that's a little intimidating yeah. for anyone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Flashing. I as I started to uh, think about, man, what do I really believe? Heard a couple people, and here's the foundation of ad hominem attacks I'll lay down on top of, you know, as a foundation for my argument. Um, I think, saw a lot of people argue for a young earth, and they would say things like, well, I've never seen a cat give birth to a dog, or uh, evolution is just a theory, and a lot of things that made me go, well, they haven't thought very hard about that. So I think for me that opened a door to just think about, does Genesis 1 and 2 really demand that we think of a young earth, uh, six 24-hour days. Um, and so as I started to study that a little more, I think uh, some of, I mean, not uh, nothing new, but I think some of the features of the text, just the sort of high prose features of it, repetition, the structure of it, made me think, well, maybe something else is going on here, um, you know, other than a straightforward account of creation. And so I think for me, that began uh, some of the questioning of, you know, must I believe uh, six 24-hour days? And then I think the, uh, the existence of an apparent age theory to me said, well, if we are thinking creation is apparently old, might it just be not apparently old and actually old? Hmm. Um, and I think as I looked at Scripture, it became clear seconds. clearer to me uh, that a lot of things that were presented as this is a literal account, um, I think just weren't as convincing. All done, Mark? Yeah. All right. So, uh, Nathan, uh, Jeff, you guys, it's uh, your turn. Go ahead. Um, you got five minutes. Uh, if you need it, go. Yeah, Um this is Nathan speaking, and I guess uh, it's it's interesting to hear the testimony of, of uh, is it Greg and Mark, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, I had the exact opposite experience. I uh. grew up um, as as a pseudo Christian, uh, growing up in a pseudo Christian home, and uh, under the the uh, assumption that evolutionary theory was was uh, had was was uh, it, and mm. uh, and 
did not did, didn't really even think I'd never even heard uh, growing up in in a more of a liberal Methodist background uh, had never even heard of the idea that somebody actually believed that there could be a literal six-day creation and it wasn't until I was in college that I was even introduced to the concept so my my uh, approach to Genesis was from the very start to assume that evolution was true that old earth was true and to, and to uh, to piece that together with uh, with with Genesis and and so it rocked my world when I first heard of um, of that the, the idea that you could actually read Genesis in a normal way and take it more at face value and that that has uh, that that there is scientific credibility behind it now i I'll, I'll say that too that I'm not a scientist although i I, I think scientifically and I, I try to keep up a little bit on but so I'm not going to speak from a scientific perspective as well sure. but I can speak from a an exegetical and theological perspective but, as much but as but you can. are kind of a science geek like right. you know yeah. a little bit too much about the Ebola virus well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a terrorist that not a science geek. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, from, from my standpoint, the same approach, but from the opposite perspective, it, so that's the irony here as we're yeah. talking about this, is that it never occurred to me that day um, could actually be taken as a, a, a literal 24-hour period of time. And uh, as, I've, as I've looked through and, and uh, studied through the, through, through the opening chapters of Genesis, as well as connecting... Um, Genesis to the, to the, as the foundations, the theological foundations of all of ancient Israel and going into the church, uh, the, the Christian uh, theology, um, where you go with Genesis really decides a lot of things. Um, and, and so your, your answers to the question of how, how long is a day, what, uh, what is uh, the, the actual literary uh, style that Genesis is is written in, uh, and how you approach it. It's it's a hermeneutical question, it's a worldview question, uh, and it's and it's complex. Um, I'll let yeah, Jeff. Yeah, Are you guys still there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 totally, yeah. dude. Yeah, I I uh, would say just on a real basic level, uh, when I became a Christian, I was seventeen, and though I'd had somewhat of a Sunday school background in terms of, you know, just hearing, hearing stories and, you know, different ways that I was taught the creation account, I'm sure. Really, I came to the Bible with pretty fresh, naive eyes. Uh, in other words, I was coming from a non-expositionally um, training church. And then once I began to take the Bible seriously as a new believer and read the Bible you know, from, uh, you know, verse one through chapters in a linear way, I just begin to take it at face value. And so reading Genesis one and two and other portions of the Bible that speak to the creation account, it just became very normal to read it in terms of 24 literal days. Mm -hmm. and so though this is a hermeneutical debate, uh, there's a sense in which I view this as a an issue of just reading the Bible by faith 
and reading it for the way that it's written uh, with, with the idea, with the view of trying to be as honest as I can to say, you know, how did God write it? What is the most normal, literal, natural 30 seconds to read read about days and hours and creation, etc., evening and morning? And so I've just always believed in a six 24-hour creationism, um, six literal day creationism because of the way the Bible reads. So uh, it's kind of coming from the opposite approach of what Nathan Schneider just mentioned in that, um, you know, I've had to learn about the other uh, interpretations, day age and um, gap theory, et cetera. Okay. Um, so what I want to do real quick, um, because the, uh, Nathan, you brought this up. Um, I, w- I want to just put this out there that we're not actually debating evolution here. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think sure. all four of us or all five of us would agree that um, if any kind of evolution is being talked about, it's it's in the context of um, microevolution changes within um, species, um, various distinctions. Um, for example, black people in Africa have dark pigmentation because of the sun, because sure. it's so hot, things like that, um, that, that nobody here believes in the um, the macro evolution where you see, um, you know, monkey changing into person. Um, so just to clarify that for the audience, this is That's helpful for me too. Cause I, I, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, those two tend to go hand in hand. So that's yes. helpful for me. So. Yeah, no, sure. So I was just going to mention last night on Fallon during the opening monologue, it was interesting and it ties right into this where they were talking about how chimpanzees had been discovered to be very good chefs. Oh. And, then, and they asked the chimpanzees, how could that be? And the chimpanzees said, we've always been able to, to cook. Wait, wait, we can't talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah, so we just want to establish that, that, um, you know, for the, for the listeners out there and then for the sake of the discussion that if we start to move into that evolutionary track, I'm going to pull us back sure. simply because this is, um, we're, we're all agreeing that God created right. in the beginning, God created. The question is how old is the earth? Um, and so just kind of sticking in that. So, um, with that in mind, uh, Jeff, Nathan, why don't you go ahead and start, um, throwing your questions, start tearing down the arguments of Mark and Greg, and we'll go from there. So you guys have, uh, three minutes. Go. Hello. Yeah. It sounded like it cut off for a second. You guys, you guys are there, right? We are. We are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that probably the, the place to begin is Genesis one. And to look at just the way that it reads in a natural, normal sense of reading it as prose. Um, Again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Nobody's debating that God created. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. If you just take that section in terms of our normal, natural way of interpreting light, darkness, a day broken down in terms of evening and morning or morning and evening, it seems like you would have to do a whole lot to get away from saying 
that that is a clear description of our everyday 24 literal um, day experience, except for up here in Alaska, that is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's light all day long right now, so it kind of throws everything out. But anyway, <laughs> in terms of where you're supposed to live in the world, yeah. <laughs> um, six, six, y'all can laugh, six 24-hour days, you know, it, it seems to make sense that way to me. Yeah, and, and I would add on top of that that I, there's no debating the reality that, that the actual Hebrew term yom has a, a wide semantic range. And yeah, there, there are uh, lots of uses of the term where it does not have a, a 24-hour concept in mind. 30 seconds. Um, the, the, the context is the determining factor of any kind of semantic category for a word. So you, you look at the context, and within the context of Genesis one, those kind of factors the, uh, are 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 there. The use of the evening and morning, the use of a a numeral attached to a word, which other places, whenever when you see that used in Hebrew, uh, is talking about a normal day. Think of number seven and each subsequent tribe presenting an offering on the next day, the sixth day, the seventh day. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are normal uses of the term to describe a 24-hour period of time. Sure. Okay. Greg, Mark? Yeah. Um, I'm with you. At the same time, I would read Psalm 104, uh, starting verse 5. He set the earth on its foundation so that it, could, it should never be moved. Uh, the, I think the natural, normal reading of that is he set the earth in place and the earth doesn't move. Yet at the same time, I think we all read that in light of other knowledge we've acquired um, about the way the universe is. Um, and I would say, you know, I would say the same thing in reading Genesis 1, um, that we're going to read that in light of other knowledge we've acquired. And so uh, the, you know, the natural, most normal reading of Genesis 1 also has to be modulated by our experience of the world. And now that's what I'm not saying there is that scripture is not our authority, that scripture is not inerrant, you know, but I think our interpretation of scripture bring, requires us to bring in the full range of our knowledge to understand what it is the author is trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would just add to that, Mark, that to me, those things, that we uh, learn in other disciplines and other fields, right? They don't trump the Bible, but they make me go back and ask, what does the Bible actually say? What does the Bible actually demand? Which is, I think, what you're, you're saying there. And I think, okay, um, there is this thing that uh, is, yeah, there, there's something about the age of the earth, at least to a, a number of people, sincere, uh, you know, intellectually seeking people, that the earth seems old. So then I go back and say, okay, is, is there anything in Genesis 1 that demands uh, that I interpret this as 24 hours? And I think, Nathan, some of your points with the, uh, you know, the fifth day, the sixth day, the seventh day, yeah, I hear that, and it definitely shows normative usage. Um, I mean, the other thing I'd throw out, and this is by no means the, the ace up anybody's sleeve, because I think I, if I had to take your position tonight, I could argue it as well, I think. But the seconds. fact... Um, the fact that the the sun isn't created till day four, which would be the main uh, you know natural phenomena that regulates what we call a day, doesn't exist on in the first three. So there's even a few intrinsic things built into the text that make me think, um, okay, 
that as well, and we might come back to this, but Mark and I were talking earlier before the podcast, the fact that it seems a little out of sync. I think Mark even mentioned that a child might ask, wait a minute, that's not right. Wouldn't it be morning and evening? So we might come back to that. Why is it evening than morning? Are there a few clues in the text that suggest we're not intended to take it as a literal scientific uh, narrative? And okay. then also, real quick, can I throw one last thought in there? No. Go. Guys, oh. are you okay with that? Can I have an extra five seconds? I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> you mean literal five seconds? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. This may be an age. Yeah. I speak yeah it's here. a second age. <laughs> um, no, but I think also in there, you look at the difference between Genesis 1 to 11 and Genesis 12 1. I think 12 yeah. reads like straightforward history and demands a more literal hermeneutic. I think 1 to 11, the narrative is speeded up, it's briefer, it's more highly structured. And to me, that gives some clues that maybe something else is going on here other than a straight historical um, recounting of creation. Okay, guys. Now, yeah, they, I, now they get more time. Yes. Go yeah, for it, brother. I was, <laughs> I was just going to say that I think that your, your last point is where I would start, which is... Mm -hmm. You know, is Genesis 1 meant to be poetry? Because if you take Genesis 1, these uh, opening verses in a poetic hermeneutic, where you see the uh, intentionality of mentioning, you know, the first day, the second day, the third day, and continuing to, to define day in terms of evening and morning, like verse 8, God called the heaven, the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. This reiteration either is explained poetically, which is probably the strongest other argument from my perspective, thinking through the different ones, or, or the point of the passage, and I believe Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the idea is that Moses is trying to drive home that this is a miracle account, that this is God speaking ex nihilo, you know, something out of nothing. Sure. And so the, so the whole idea is, we don't really understand as the creation how the creator is God who can do something like this. There's a creature-creator distinction where God is speaking things into existence, miraculously so, and Moses is summarizing this miracle event that happened in six literal uh, days. And I have to cross-reference um, one idea, and that is you know, something that uh, you know, this isn't new with me, uh, but it's more of a presuppositional approach. And that is the idea that we, as the created beings, we can't presuppose that we understand exactly what the creation account is like. There's, there's a sense in which God is wholly other and different than we are. And so when God answered Job, for instance, in Job 38, and was rebuking Job because Job was puffed up with pride. He said in Job 38.4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And the idea is that we weren't there. Yeah. We, we don't know exactly how there could be light that is sustained in the creation account, and then there is sunlight. Right. But, you know, we, we aren't God, and so we have to trust the Scripture for the way that it revealed itself. Uh Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, going going back even to 
you know, just the discussion of, of the genre of the literature. I mean, it's an important discussion because it's really, you, you've got to dis, you got to really land on how, how you're going to approach the text. And, and that's why I think it's problematic to go to a place like Psalm 104 and to try to take what is a poetic commentary on, on a narrative account and then use the poetic narrative, uh, poetic commentary to come to dogmatic positions. It's essentially what, uh, w what you're saying a, a young earth person does with Genesis. Um, but, but we've got to be able to say poetry is one thing, but, but narrative is another. So if, if, if we need to, 30 seconds, to, we need to, land on is is genesis 1 through 11 poetry or narrative there there's ample in indicators within the text um, that would that would separate those two genres even the use of the wayak toll uh verb form uh the 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 use of of definite uh, article markers the use of the definite article or the the use of uh, of of all of these various things that are 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 narrative in nature um, and, and rarely found in Hebrew poetry, um, I don't think just because the, the, the history goes fast, mm -hmm. that's not an argument against it being narrative in the same way that you have tons of history um, within, uh, let's say, the, the book of, of uh, Kings. That doesn't mean Kings is not narrative. Okay. Yeah. Mark, Greg? Yeah, I mean, uh, good good points, Nathan. Uh, this is Greg again, and Mark, you can comment on this. I, I we haven't compared notes on this. I I would say it is narrative that I'm I'm not suggesting that it's not giving real information about the creation of the world. I think it's I tend to think of it as telescoped narrative that is um, elevated prose is the uh, term I like. Elevated prose, it's better better than telescope. I like it. Um, so uh, it's it's a different. Uh, I mean, in in essence, and this touches on a little bit. It reminds me of the genealogical gaps, uh, you know, whether it's the Table of Nations and all those, you know, so and so begat so and so that we read about in Genesis five and other passages. Which I, I uh, you guys can note this. I think you guys would agree there are gaps in those genealogies. That's why it was what Bishop. Somebody or other, Usher, yeah, was it Usher? Yeah. You, Not no. Usher the singer. Yeah, that Usher was Usher the, the recording artist. Different guy. He was like, yeah, yeah, four thousand four BC. Yeah, um, that was a bad Usher. Um, but you know, they uh, with one leg propped up. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's a dude who uh, you know calculated the genealogies to get the exact date. I just remember the year he came out with it was four thousand and four BC, and even most young Earth creationists like I talked to. Saturday at six p.m. Yes, yeah, had it nailed down. Had it nailed down because he was taking some of those narratives, particularly in their genealogical form, uh, without recognizing uh, some. Uh, what was your term again, Mark? Uh, oh. Your um, uh, the uh, elevated prose. the elevated prose, which is telling true things, and and one of the things you said earlier, uh, Jeff, which. I think ties into this. When I come to creation, I mean, believe me, I, I have no crusade to make young earth creationists, old earth creationists um, at all. And I, I, I know we'll come back to that a little later, the pastoral implications of this view. But I will say that I always emphasize that I think the Genesis 1 account, this ties into some of the things you were saying, Jeff, is much more about the, the why of creation and the who of creation 
God and his purposes more than it is the what and the when. Uh, I, I think that's why it's there. I do think that's why it is telescoped or whatever you said, Mark. Uh, and you don't get the vivid day-to-day detail that you would get in the patriarchal history that begins in Genesis 12 because it wasn't his, his purpose to give us a, a scientific manual approach to the creation of the universe. It was to emphasize his glory. I believe it was to emphasize his purpose and man being the final creation, the image bearer of him on this earth. I think these are the biblical themes that are set up 30 seconds for redemption, etc. You better jump in. Yeah. Um, and I also think, you know, as Jeff, I, I really resonate with what you say. Like, it's not for us to say how God created. I don't think Genesis 1 and 2 says much about process. Uh, it says a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, and so that's where I think my heart is never to convince somebody out of young earth creationists. I think that's a fine position. Um, it takes... Uh, the Bible seriously, and so I don't need to convince anyone that they're wrong. I just want to say, man, I think in the midst of that, we ought to come with a humility that says maybe it wasn't six 24-hour days uh, 7,000 years ago. Maybe there is a gap between Genesis 1 and 2. Maybe day-age thing, maybe there's a gap between those days. I think there's a lot of different ways to get there. Um, I think ultimately I want to just land at, man, we're not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and are we really confident saying, no, positively it happened this way? And then I think when you hit a seven to 10,000 uh, year old earth, you start running into other problems of, you know, how are you viewing those genealogies? Are there gaps? If there's not, I think you start running into um, kind of some absurdities of, you know, Moses being a contemporary of Abraham and some of those sorts of things. Jeff, Nathan? Yeah, I I just wanted to go back to the Genesis 1 account. Um, again, you know, I'm just kind of looking at this with fresh eyes for our interview. Sure. Um, but let me, let me just read one other section. Genesis 1, verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so and god made the two great lights the greater light to rule by to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars and god set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So the idea of just defining days and evenings and mornings and seasons and, and just the, the normal way to read something like this where you have sun that's the light by the day. And then I guess this, the idea scientifically would be the sun reflecting off of the moon to give light at night or the expanse of the heavens, which seems to really make normal sense. And not just like, you know, fourth grade Sunday school sense, but even scientific sense as you think through the the seasons and and, uh, the way that um, things are moving about, you know, from morning to evening and, and throughout the years as we live our lives. And so I, I understand that 
there are some different, you know, scientific questions or things that might come up or even genealogical, genealogical questions like you're talking about. But I, just like how the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, say things from different perspectives, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. people will raise those perspectives up as if they are real contradictions to undo the, you know, the, the inerrancy, infallibility of Scripture. Sure. I think that in the same way with, the, with, with just reading the Scripture in its normal, natural sense and then saying, listen, there must be some things that I don't fully understand yet about the genealogies because it sure seems like a young earth approach is there. Then you begin to interpret in that way. That's how I would have questions that would come up like you're, like you're raising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm not sure how much time I have. Uh, go ahead. Um, I mean, from, from, from the perspective of just the detail of, of Genesis 1, you're right. I mean, the, the, the creation account comprises relatively little of the Torah, a little, little of the Pentateuch. Um, as compared to the rest of the story, and that, that's to be expected. Um, he, he, Moses' point in giving the, the Pentateuch to Israel, you know, on the banks of, the, of uh, on the Moab about ready to take the land, he's, he's giving them a sense of who they are, of their history, but he's got to start from scratch. He's got to go all the way back and, and, and hit the reset button on a nation that spent 400 years uh, in pagan context with pagan cosmologies. Sure. And he's got to completely erase all of that. Um, but at the same time, even though it's only, you know, a, a chapter and a few verses, um, I don't see that as, it, it's hard, for, it's hard for me to see that as, as not a lot of information because it's, it, he did do a day-to-day approach. I mean, you, you say he didn't, do a day-to-day approach like he does later on in the text, but he does. Um, if if you are are, are going to take first day, second day, third day, fourth day in his normal meaning, he does. He lays out the day-to-day aspect of, of how God created the world in order to give Israel a proper cosmology. And even going back to just the creation of the heavenly bodies, he's reconstructing all of Israel's history, uh, you know, uh, who who was really the creator? Thirty who, seconds. Who, who are who who is the the sovereign one in this universe? Um, that he doesn't even name the the sun by its its sure. its Hebrew name because of its association with pagan idolatry. It just names it the greater sun, the le- or the greater light, the lesser light. Oh, and he created the stars too. Uh, so you look at the at the the purpose of what the the Genesis creation account is. It's to give Israel a reset. And he does give a play-by-play. Yeah. He does give a, a, a day-by-day. He doesn't go into the intimate details, but he really none of the biblical authors give intimate details, um, even with regard to, to most things. They are very selective, uh, and, and yet I don't see why we why we can't um, take the text here at face value the way we take it at other places when it doesn't give a play-by-play either. Okay, so what we're going to do now is I'm going to um, give uh, Greg and Mark a chance to respond, and then I'm going to give um, Nathan and Jeff a chance to respond. And then what I like to do is um, I know uh, both Greg and Mark have some questions for you guys and the implications 
of uh, young earth theory, um, just in terms of practical um, teaching and things like that, uh, the gospel and how we can, you know, um, share the gospel with people who don't necessarily believe in young earth theory. Um, and then I want, so I want to give um, both groups a chance to go back and forth with some different questions um, on that. So um, Mark, Greg, why don't you go ahead, take your last um, few minutes here to just, you know, ex- expand on some of the things that they said, and then we'll give uh, Jeff and Nathan a chance as well. And we'll move on to some questions. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, and can I ask a question? Sure. Is that allowed? Sure. Is that allowed? May I have a question? Uh, and I, let me start by, uh, you know, saying, Nathan, I think I generally agree with you as you talk about uh, Genesis 1 and 2 and, you know, what was happening there. I think it is uh, it is more about uh, telling Israel something about who their God is, who their creator is. Uh, it's set against kind of some of the opposing pagan narratives that would have been kind of in their purview and uh, so I agree there, and I think I would just not want to try to press the detail on that to a specific process or a specific timeline. Um, but here's the question I have maybe goes in a little bit different direction. Because what then do you do with the fact that the world looks old? You know, the universe looks old. I think if we're, you know, thinking about a 10,000-year-old universe... Uh, you have a God that created stars that exploded, you know, apparently exploded millions of years ago. Uh, how, how do you talk about that with someone who's asking those questions? Did God create a universe that is, you know, deceitful, um, that in many ways, I think, uh, looks old, has things that are aged in it, has stars that were created already destroyed? Right. Now, is it my turn to? Yeah, you yeah, can, yeah, okay. yeah. This yeah, is going to just be a back and forth question answer thing. Yeah, so that's a that's a very good question, and I, I think that one argument that I heard recently, um, and I never really thought of this, uh, and I think it's a common one for six literal day creationists to use or whatever. But I think it's interesting. I mean, Adam was created old; he wasn't created as an infant, mm-hmm. and. Eve was created out of his side, literally. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all in agreement that we believe in literal Adam and Eve. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, well, you know, that, 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 time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, uh, Jeff, I think Nathan was shocked that you believe it. That was what that, <laughs> that talk was. So good. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, I would say literal Adam and Eve historical fall. Absolutely. Yeah. To me, right. become boundaries of kind of orthodoxy. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, just the just taking the scripture at face value that Adam was created as a as a man that, you know, that is the same concept and theory of God creating all of creation in the age that it um, was created at. The other side of this, too, is to understand that in terms of Earth, uh, we believe in the flood. And so we believe that there was cataclysmic overhaul that took place here. And this is after the fall, so there are the effects of sin and the fallen world that we live in that create a catastrophic uh, environment around us. So, you know, when you, and I I remember watching a a video at one point about the destruction, the immediate destruction that Mount St. Helens created around itself and the miles and miles of 
basically the the world now around Mount St. Hel Helens after it erupted looking like you know the moon virtually sure. if you've ever been in southern california where you see a, a fire you know a fire that's broken out in the the brush and dry terrain and you see um the the firefighters who are all roped together trying to climb out of that thing it's like they're coming out of a crater and so the the earth can age in terms of how it looks very quickly i think of the tr the massive tsunamis that where you have these giant earthquakes underneath the, the ocean's floor that create massive tsunamis that wipe out terrain and whole, you know, 30 seconds. Cities. It, it makes me, it makes me think that again, God is God and I'm not, so I can't fully understand sure. everything. There, there are people who can give more sophisticated answers in terms of the speed of light and what we see and how we're um, in our human sensor senses, perceiving, uh, you know, the stars and, and the, the light and distance between them. Maybe Nathan Schneider, you could ask uh, answer on that, but I know that there are some explanations there, but it's the same idea that they were just created uh, in, in the mind of God. He decided to create them that way. And that's what we have. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know how much time I have, but just, I mean, for, from, from the stars perspective, I, I think you're right. The deceptive quality. I mean, you, you you can't get around the fact that if God created something that had already exploded and then you're seeing it now, uh, that that is deceptive. Uh, but I think, you know, physics, this physics study is is uh, is seeing the impact that gravitational force ha it has on on light and on time. Um, and that's areas even where we're, you know, that was 80 years ago that Einstein was was uh, pulling those theories together in, in his theory of relativity. So I think that that some of those things can come into play as we talk about time and light and 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 those kind of processes. But I mean, regardless, I think it's easy. It, you can really say, yeah, the the Earth does look old, but define old, and old doesn't have to mean millions of years. 10,000 years is really old. I've never met somebody that, that that's that old. And, and the reason why you think that old has to be millions of years, to me, comes back down to assumptions that you have of processes, naturalistic processes that have to take place in order for that to look that way. And, um, and, and what that doesn't necessarily factor in is the, the acute factor of, like Jeff said, the flood and the catastrophic catastrophic implications that a flood, uh, a global flood, would have uh, to speed along what normally would what we what we observe takes you know, sure. thousands and thousands and thousands of years uh, could be accomplished much quicker uh, with the with that flood. Narrative. Thirty seconds, and sure. that's why. I, oh, go ahead. No, I'm I'm done. Okay, yeah, and I think I would point if I was making an apparent age argument. Um, I think mean, it's just a lot cleaner to point outside of the earth and not to, you know, flood and cataclysmic geology kind of things. Um, you know, but the fact that, hey, I mean, there are stars that we can see that are hundreds of millions of light years away. Um, I think that's harder to get around. Yeah, sure. And, yeah. you know, one one thing that comes to mind regarding that scientific argument is I'd rather be more of an agnostic regarding the, the science of that 
sure. Because we're still learning, you know, I don't know how many years it's been that we realize that we are outside of our own galaxy, that there are galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies, you know, in terms of the expanse of the stars with the creation of the Hubble telescope. But, you know, there's a lot that we don't know scientifically. And my um, perspective as a Christian and my conviction is to take the Bible at, at face value and create my presuppositions there and work from the Bible to science and, and not in reverse. Yeah, and, sure. No, and yeah. I, I agree with that. And I think the question is, at what point do you feel like the weight of evidence tips you to ask those questions of the Bible? So with a Psalm 104, you know, to me, I think we would all say, wow, the weight of evidence is tipped. So there might have been a time when we would have all read that and said, hey, he set the earth on its foundations. It cannot be moved and said, we're fine understanding that straightforwardly. And I think where we might disagree is, has the weight of evidence tipped yet? Yeah, yeah. And I, I would say, Mark, that's why I, I brought up the, the, the point that, to me, the role of science is never, obviously, to be another source of authority next to the Bible. But to, if it prompts us to ask, oh, let me look at the Bible again. What is the Bible saying? What is it demanding of me to believe? Um, I think there's no way that uh, we can... Uh, say, well, the Bible doesn't demand us to believe in God's existence, you know, when obviously, you know, right out of the gate, in the beginning, God, you know, so that's an obvious one um, you know, that can easily be pointed out. But I think the, uh, the, the information that we do acquire in other disciplines makes me stop and think, okay, am I reading this carefully? Am I looking at this properly? I mean, I, you know, this is a I don't want to overpress this too much. There was a time where evangelical leaders in this country uh, were just assuming, based upon some of uh, the uh, you know uh, Bible hermeneutics that had been handed down to them, that segregation was fine. It was a um, legitimate practice that acknowledged people's equality as they would uh, see it. But you know they should be separate but equal. And then, you know, cultural forces make us, what does the Bible actually say? And when you look at it, I think most of us would agree. I think we would all agree segregation is not a, not a healthy policy. And, when you uh, say most of us, who are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> most is not the appropriate term there. If it is, we, we're going to do another podcast. So I just use that as an analogy to say, promise me to say, what does the Bible say? And if I could put back on, on you guys two things, one I mentioned to me, what do you guys do when I just throw this out for you to to think about that? I think you would have to say the term yom in Genesis 2-4 is used in a figurative, non-literal sense because obviously if he is, uh, if Moses is giving us the six days of God's creative activity and bringing everything into existence, in the one yom that he did these things, he's obviously using that figuratively. The other thing, and, and this is more of an implication, is would we not have to say that we're still in day seven, that day seven God rest from his creative activity and he has still rested from his creative activity uh, yeah. that is yeah. mentioned there. So we've got two places that I'm not bringing in from other accounts. I'm looking at Genesis 1 and 2. Okay, day seven, well, when did that day end? I would tell my children, well, it hasn't. Uh, we, we, in, in a very real sense, we're still in day seven. God isn't yeah. creating like he did. And then Genesis 2-4, the same term is used very explicitly 
in a in a figurative sense. And I'm just curious, how would you yeah. guys interact with that? I, well, I would go to Genesis two four, and I'm not arguing that that the yom in that verse is not talking comprehensively of what has just been defined in Genesis one. Yeah. But the fact that that in Genesis one it was reiterated. Day one, day two, day three, morning, evening, morning, or evening, morning, evening, morning, and talking even in terms of, you know, light and darkness, sun and moon and, and seasons. It's so specific contextually that Genesis 2-4 doesn't confuse what he's just said over and over again in Genesis 1. The other thing I would do is um, ask you to look over to Exodus chapter 20 where uh, Moses, who I believe wrote the first five books of the Bible, so he, he wrote Exodus also, is using commentary from, or he's creating commentary in Exodus 20 of Genesis 1 to define the law and, and the Ten Commandments regarding the Sabbath, saying, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days you shall labor. So he's talking about literal days there. And to do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, your livestock, etc. Verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it just seems like when you hang those verses together, he doesn't bounce from Yom being literal days that the Israelites were to work on, and then the Sabbath day that the Israelites were supposed to rest on, which were 24-hour days, more evening and morning defined days, and he's, I don't think, bouncing into a figurative use there to say that the Lord rested on the seventh day. I think he's literal with Yom through and through with that passage. Sure. Yeah, and I and I would respond in particularly just with regard to the concept of an of an eternal seventh day or, or an ongoing seventh day. There's there's some some theological implications to that that are that are important to grasp. Um, I, I don't think that it's required that you have a view that the seventh day is somehow an eternal day. That's in, in what, what they call the framework hypothesis. That's, that's a way of trying to say, well, since the seventh day is, is a non-literal day, then therefore the other six can therefore be literals. It's the same context. But, you know, if you, if you're going to say that, that God stopped creating after the seventh day, he stopped working, he ceased from work. um, Then, then there are, We've got problems. Oh yeah, it was not the end of God's work, and God even creates after the seventh day. It was it was David who used that same term bara, create in the Hebrew to talk about God create in me a clean heart, create right. in me a a renewed spirit. Um, so that God did not cease from His activity and His work. Uh, because the culmination of God's work is the death of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. That was God working, um, and so I, I don't think you, I don't think that's a that's a very good place to to go down. Uh, I, I, and I don't think that it's 
then it's a, a weak argument to say, yeah, the, the seventh day after six days, literal days of God creating, there was a day that God ceased from that activity, from that original creative activity. That's a plain way of understanding what he's talking about. Um, and I don't think that you have to see it in a, an eternal or an ongoing sense. And a lot of people turn to Hebrews 4 to try to make that argument. Hebrews 4 isn't making that argument at all um, without going into the details of that. But, but there's, there's theological implications to the idea of God ceasing from his work. Uh, that we'd have to wrestle with. Right. Yeah. Just to, just to add real quick, when he ceased from the work, uh, he does look at the creation and, and defines it as very good. And so there's a little bit of a defense. There's a not a little bit, a very definitive statement um, to talk about that cease, that ceasing. So that was it. Yeah. No. And I just as a, but you know, we don't need to get lost in the weeds on this point of quick uh, clarification, Nathan, to your point, I, I would agree. In fact, I've, when I've preached on the Gospel of John, you know, Jesus says, my father is always working. So uh, I have always said, so wow, does that contradict the Genesis account when God rested from his work? I said, of course not, because what that means is he's rested from that specific work that is described in those first six days of creation. Uh, so I just wanted to say, yes, I, I think it would be wrong to say, yeah, God stopped working. As yeah. soon as, you yeah. know, th then we almost have a, a deist theology in the sense that right. he set it in motion and God sits back on a barca lounger uh, and watches everything take place. No, no, I, 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 I simply am making the point that it is a little tricky to consider that seventh day. In other words, it seems to me that the young earth creation uh, proponents make much of those first six days. And I'm saying the same principles um, used to, you know, uh, say, well, this is the normative use of day, to me, uh, go out a little bit on day seven because we don't have quite the, uh, you know, beginning and the end, it, it seems. Oh, and then there's day seven, which basically says he, he stopped doing what he was doing those first six days. So I, I'm not, pr I, I don't want to press that too much. Um, and a question that I have, if, if I may, Nathan, mm -hmm. which sure. might, might shift us a bit, uh, you guys are being very gracious to us, by the way. Thank you. Um, I just want to say that. Is this a fair uh, assertion to you guys? In my opinion, I have experienced most old earth creationists as, hey, I, I, I know few guys that are crusading for everybody to believe in old earth creationism. They throw it out as a possibility. That's pretty much where I'm coming from. I would say I lean towards that. Yeah. I'm not dogmatic about it. I think, Mark, you would say the same thing. Yeah, I'd agree. I have found less of a charitable spirit in reverse. Uh, and I was just, is it, do you guys think that's a fair statement? In other words, I'm talking to you dudes. I'm like, guys, where you are, totally cool. Yeah. Orthodox, within the bounds of orthodoxy. Um, I don't always, and I'm not saying you two in particular, from my young earth brothers in Christ, feel that same spirit of reciprocity <laughs> that, hey, and you guys, yeah, I don't quite see it the same way. I feel that there, at times it's almost treated like it's a central issue on par with the deity of Jesus, uh, the sufficiency of the scripture, um, salvation, uh, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, 
things that we would consider, dare I use the Catholic term, cardinal, um, <laughs> is, is is that a fair assertion? Would you guys agree with my sense? Well, let me just say, if, if we have come across gracious, and, uh, then we apologize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't don't worry, brother. I don't think Jeff has ever come across gracious, right, brother? No, no, hardly. We, we have failed. We need to FaceTime so you can see our oh, yeah. grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're 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 kind of we're on our knees no, praying for you. Yeah. <laughs> we're through this process. No, I I have appreciated, you know, with different evangelical coalitions like Gospel Coalition, et cetera where people are coming together and talking more openly because uh, regarding this, because when you just look at the exponential rate at which humankind is discovering things scientifically, like our discussion around the speed of light and, you know, the, the, just the expanse of the heavens and the universe, it does beg questions to, again, go back to the scripture and say, is my cosmology correct? Mm-hmm. I I heard one person say, you know, the the church believed the earth was flat, you know, until it didn't, you know, and, and, right. the, and then it, you know, and then it begs uh, people to look at small little nuances in scripture where it talks about the earth being round or circular and, and saying, well, yeah, it, it was always there. But I think, I think, again, what's, what's important is to protect on a tertiary or even a secondary level hermeneutics and just say, I want to, you know, start with the scripture and then go out and, and test science and test my worldview and not do that in reverse. So that's a very important foundation to hold on to. But perhaps at the primary level or the gospel level, when you begin to talk about sin and you talk about death, then you're beginning to talk about redemption and the gospel and it's a very fine line between the two and so for someone with a long earth presupposition uh you know it could be tempting to build a cosmology where you say listen you know god did create and was more of a deist at first what did you call god like sitting in the lawn chair you know (laughs) where I'm going to, I'm going to just throw the, you know, the clay on the wheel and let it kind of spin forward for long periods of time, millions of years. And then there's either some kind of evolutionary process that is bringing things up to the point where then God enters into um, a historic literal Adam and Eve moment. And then we build from there. And then whatever death was happening before through the survival of the fittest that brought us to the place where we transition to a literal Adam and Eve, um, you know, that's kind of just, that's backlog, you know, that's part of the, the gap time, you know, that, that's an age that, that's different than literal Adam and Eve. It just begins to threaten, I think, uh, how we're defining, you know, the, the first Adam and the second Adam at that point in my mind, just to use some Romans 5 shorthand. Mm-hmm. So that's where you begin to touch on the primary I mean, do you guys do you guys believe, for instance, that that death happened at all before Adam and Eve and the fall? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say it did. I would say there was death. That what changed with the fall is human death. Um, you know, and I, I, 
I think if you really look at Genesis 3, you know, and some of the pre-fall counts, it doesn't say much about what pre-fall creation was like. So I actually, uh, um, well, can I name somebody? Yeah, we'll you're... call him Al M. Yeah. Uh... Or if that's uh, too revealing, we can call him A. Moeller. Yes, very good. <laughs> Yes. Well, yeah. Jeff has mentioned Al Mulder in a previous podcast that okay. as I'm brilliant as the dude was, does not know who Cal Ripken was. We'll see that. That's Which, one more strike again. I know. I mean, Moeller's a brilliant dude. <laughs> but to not know Cal Ripken, wow. He went all dial tone on me. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you heard crickets. <laughs> when, what was amazing was his wife was brilliantly clear in that moment on who Cal Ripken Jr. is. Wow. Amazing. Wow. So, and like Al Mohler's smarter than me. I think we probably all agree. Amen, brother. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm not going to like cross intellectual swords with Al Mohler. But that question, I actually asked him at a conference once. Um, you know, it was getting at that issue, Jeff, of kind of what is different between creation pre and post fall. Um, and so the question I asked him is, if you're um, observing a part of creation free from human influence, so go out, you know, a couple hundred light years or whatever, um, could you tell by observing creation if it was pre or post fall? You know, his answer was, of course, you know, yes, you could. And I said, what would the difference be? And he said, well, no second law of thermodynamics, no decay. Right. You know? Right. And I think that sounds satisfying until you start going, well, well, wait a minute. You know, if you have no second law of thermodynamics, now we have heat flowing from cold bodies to warm bodies. And you start having to imagine a whole completely different physics of the universe. So I think sometimes there's just, um, simplistic answers of what pre-fall creation was like that owe maybe as much to John Milton as Genesis. Um, and I think sometimes we kind of throw out things without really thinking through, wait, what am I imagining happened? And that's where I want to kind of retreat to an agnostic, hey, the Bible doesn't say much. Here's some things we can say happened, but there's a lot we just don't know. Can, can, we, can I ask a question to yes. piggyback that then? Yeah. Then what, I mean, what What then in your idea of of the text and, and what, yeah. what the, the meaning of the phrase, he, he looked at the, uh, his creation and, and behold, it was very good. Mm-hmm. What does that very good refer to then? What is that very good thing that he saw? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Greg's I mean, going to take that is, one. Yeah. <laughs> that's part of it. Is death a part of the very good thing he saw? Yes, I think it can be. Yeah. Then yeah. why yeah. isn't? What, can I ask a follow-up question to that, though? I mm-hmm. mean, and you can address it as you. Mm-hmm. Why isn't? Why isn't it then a part of? You know, we talk about protology here. First things. Why mm-hmm. isn't death then an aspect of eschatology? Why? Why isn't that well, a factor when we're talking about the new heavens and the new earth? Well, I th- I mean, well, you want to go? Uh, well, yeah, I was just going to say, Mark, I think your point, uh, you know, I think obviously, I mean, all of creation is building to, I think, God's 
most glorious creation, which is is man, because the animals weren't made in his image. The uh, you know sun, moon, and stars weren't made in his image. Uh, finally, he gets to this last apex of creation, and it's the image bearers. Uh, and actually, you know, keep in mind in Genesis two, what isn't good is the fact that Adam doesn't have a helper. So I would say, even in the Genesis 1 account of things being very good, that has to be qualified with Genesis 2, that there is something lacking. Uh, so I, I don't absolutize that term to simply mean, oh, that must mean we've got this absolutely set, perfect paradise in place um, that you know fits all these categories. Well, I, and I would throw in another, you know, I think God's very good creation included the possibility of human sin. Sure. Uh, well, you know, I mean, going, it had to. Yeah. And so we're going to a reality that will not include that possibility. So I would say kind of in my eschatology, it's not simply a return to the conditions of Eden. No, I uh, would a, agree. You know, it's a better reality. Than right. In, in fact, that gets to my kids recently asked me. Uh, my eight-year-old Isaac said, you know, very provocative question for me. He said, Dad, will we ever get kicked out of heaven? And I said, no, of course not, buddy. And he said, uh, well, Adam and Eve were. And which leads to this issue. I mean, we're really getting deep in the weeds here with sort of the reformed probationary period. But I do say uh, that I think the reformers generally had that right, that Eden is sort of a probationary paradise, different than Revelation 21 and 22, the full uh, manifest glory of God, that I said the difference between Adam and Eve and us in our glorified state, Adam and Eve were innocent of sin at that point, but they were not glorified, saved, fully saved people. Uh, So I I think had Adam and Eve endured the test, my personal view uh, is that they would have entered into what we would call the Revelation 21, 22 state. So to me, the death that's the big deal, for lack of a better term, in Genesis 3, is that the image bearers will die. And it could be argued that Adam and Eve knew what death was because they had seen it in the animal and you know plant kingdom. Um, well, I, I, know I can't prove that, but I'm saying I would say, is, I ask that question, is it possible that what that could happen to us? Well, that doesn't happen to us. Because we're the the no. image bearers of God. That's that that would be a way I might I, take that issue. That's that's I've never heard someone, you know, bifurcate image bearing death from, you know, other death. Right. Like there's two categories before. That's just because I haven't again read the maybe the arguments of Long Earth and trying to think that through to keep things evangelical. You know, sure. in, in yeah. Terms sure. of, in terms of that, I I get that. But the other thing is, when you read the curse that God pronounced on Adam and Eve, it was pronounced also on the earth. Sure. And so there isn't a bifurcation of curse, and so I don't know that there's a bifurcation of death. Verse 17 of chapter 3, Genesis 3, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. Right. So suddenly there's a curse of the ground in pain. You shall um, eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat of the plants of the field. And then, you know, the, the physical curse by the sweat of your face, you shall eat the bread, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the other thing is when the when they were kicked out of Eden, Adam and Eve, verse 24 
he drove out the man and and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I, I think there's a sense of sealing off um, sealing off their presence from the garden for a purpose because the the intent was for there not to be sin. Of course, you know, of course there was the allowance of it and in the you know, ultimate sovereign will of God. I believe it was all part of the plan. But just in terms of, uh, you know, reading it in terms of a narrative, something changed and there needed to be, you know, a difference between what um, Eden was like before sin entered into it and then after sin entered into it. There needed to be redemption of the sin that had taken place. And I believe that the redemption is redeeming us from the curse of sin and, and death, and I appreciate, uh, Nathan, um, Nathan Alaska, what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Just in, I appreciate both Nathans. I, but, but I, I appreciate older Nathan and younger Nathan. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I, 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 what I'm saying is I think that tying together the new heavens and the new earth where there's no more sickness, no more suffering in, in the new heavens, new earth, no more death and no more demons. I mean, all of that is eradicated in heaven. And I believe that, that paradise, to use the, like you said, John Milton, you know, paradise um, was lost and then paradise is regained. I think there is that parallelism and tying that to Romans 5, uh, verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. I, I think your argument, you know, is, is worthy of my consideration that you're saying that's human death, but it seems like the curse was broader than that based back in Genesis 3. Yeah, and I, quick response to that. And this, I mean, to me, gets pretty speculative and pretty far from the text. So I present it as an argument of I've heard, not necessarily one I want to fully endorse. But I think yep. the way have people have dealt with that is talking about the curse more in terms of a broken relationship between man and the earth, um, you know, the image bearer and the created order, um, and a broken relationship rather than a cursing of the essential ground itself. So whether or not you find that acceptable, I leave to you to decide. Yeah. But uh, that's a direction people have gone with that. Um, right. I would not to keep banging the Psalm 104 drum. Um, but bang it, brother. Yeah, I'll bang it. <laughs> is, that, is that a thing I can do? Uh, I think Psalm 104 is essentially a celebration of God's good creation. It's a look at creation pre-fall, and it talks about the lion roaring for his prey. Um, and so I think you've also got to deal with, again, and I, I think you might say, well, Again, we're going to start with the text, and hey, Mark, you are trying to bring in science uh, too soon. Um, but I would, I mean, the, uh, the question I would ask in return is, what do you do then with like a lion who is designed to eat meat, who has a digestive system that could not survive on plant matter? I think at some point you've got to start explaining, wait, what really happened in the fall? Did all these predators... Were they not supposed to predate? Did their digestive systems change? Like, what happened there? 
Yeah, I, I, well, I think we all acknowledge the reality of micro evolution and adaptation to new environments. So I, I don't see that's outside the purview of, of possibility um, that that what their original system was designed, they adapted to new environments. And, and, uh, and uh, I don't I don't see that as a problem. Uh, and, and maybe maybe there's more information out there that I I don't have that. Uh, um, but just in the same way, you have man that was originally designed to eat plants, but then that world was opened up to, 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 to consume flesh after the flood, and, and that didn't seem to be a problem for man. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't see that as a problem. Which there are, whole, there are whole diets based on this. Have you heard of this, gentlemen, where... I have been confronted. The paleo diet. Yeah. That, oh yeah. That, that because because my teeth are not built like a lion's, yeah. you know, set mm. of choppers. Chompers. I'm supposed to just you know juice or eat salad, and I just think that is uh, straight from the pit of hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, brother. I yeah. Listen, that we can agree on. Yeah. If you, if you want to talk about a gospel issue? <laughs> turn orange. And believe yeah. I'm more spiritual than everybody else. Well, I, I've also heard of now, diet. Now it's fighting time. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff, I have also heard of diets that suggest I should eat uh, balanced meals and avoid <laughs> sugar. Yeah. Uh, but also, I mean, clearly that is straight from the pit of hell. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. yes. They never mention Krispy Kreme. No. <laughs> and, and and I would add to that, man, that I, you know, one time had this desire to exercise. So, of course, I just laid down until it passed. <laughs> uh, is how I so here's with my that. real question well, though about this uh, in a pre-fall creation did Adam and Eve just think healthy foods were tasty or were Krispy Kreme donuts healthy mm. 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 who are you man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. gird up your loins while you answer these questions Mark All right. I, I, I would say how are we on time Nathan? yeah we're, we're, we're running a little over which I'm <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, just a little good. uh no it's good i want to try to um i i think it's okay if we keep it a little longer sure i do too um so you might flip out when i say this i want to keep it under an hour and a half though yeah um right now we're at about an hour and 18 minutes sure so um let's go ahead and um take the last 12 minutes that we have and just um Take about half that time. Guys, a few more questions, back and forth, response to sure. each other, and then we'll wrap everything up. Yeah, let me, uh, if I may, share with you guys an approach and get you to comment on it. If I'm talking to an unbeliever, a skeptic of some sort, and we're engaged in a gospel conversation, and the guy tells me, man, dude, I could never buy into what you buy into, this whole Jesus, Christianity, Bible-thumping stuff, Um you know, man, I, I'm a, I, you know, I was a biology major. My father was a science teacher at my high school, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I, I, I'm really going to go out here for you guys and push this even beyond the age of the earth. If the guy tells me he believes in evolution, I will say to him, okay. I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say that I believe it. I don't. I'll say, you know what, let me, let me give you that. And um, now assumed in that is a, what has been called a theistic evolution, which, of course, I reject uh, from a discipleship standpoint. I teach against it as I'm, you know, uh, shepherding people in my church, etc. From an evangelistic perspective, however, 
I'm very comfortable giving that to the person. I say, well, let, let me just ask you this. Do you rule out the possibility that there is a God that created the heavens and the earth, uh, that created everything? Okay, fine. It sounds to me like you want to insist. Oh, did I come un, undone here, brother? Keep going. Uh, that he used uh, an evolutionary process. You know what? Let's just, for the sake of argument, I can roll with that. If I can get that guy to talk about the claims of Christ, uh, you know, and, and sort of, you know, the classic trilemma, C.S. Lewis, you know, the liar, lunatic, Lord thing, and get him to consider the claims of Christ. In my theology of conversion, etc., and I, I think we all share a reformed soteriology, knowing you guys went to master's and uh, you know, certainly that's where we would come from as well. I'm very comfortable giving that. I don't feel that a defense of any particular kind of biblical cosmology or creationism is a necessary component of evangelism. To me, the, the essential truth is God is the creator. Uh, and I would very much adopt the, the Acts 17 approach, you know, the Paul at Mars Hill and uh, not the one in Seattle, uh, but the <laughs> the the other one. And um, you know, well, there's even another Mars Hill. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, which is Nathan's brother Rob, that's right. pastored for a long time before he became Oprah's spiritual guru. That's right. You need to call your brother up, dude. Get that stuff. Well, actually, out. Just a quick side note: my middle name is Robert. Oh, man. <laughs> dude, we should do that for marketing value. And Rob Bell. That's right. Greg Dutcher and quote Rob unquote Bell. Well, um, Rob, Rob believes he believes in a young hell. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, in that case, and that's a start for Rob Bell. He's 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 on the right path. He just needs to expand that endlessly. I um. So I throw that out to you guys. That is the way I've approached people in my own family that are agnostics and unbelievers that I don't add into my gospel sharing any defense of a particular biblical cosmology, partly right. because I know in a discipleship context, if the Holy Spirit brings them to faith in Christ, we'll get to that. Yep. Yes. And I'm curious how you well, guys feel. I Well, I appreciate that. I think there are a lot of issues apologetically that are not um, what we should make the issue in terms of conversion of the gospel. And I think that, again, when Paul or whomever, especially Paul, when he was reaching the Gentiles, he, he you know, would hop over a, uh, an Old Testament law approach for evangelizing Gentiles because they had no real context for the old covenant and sure. Israel. And so he would go right to creation and the issues in creation. Again, you're protecting God as creator. God as the one who creates something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. God who is different and wholly other than the creation. So I, you have to, that's where we have ultimate, violent agreement is that God is sovereign and is the originator of all things and is sovereignly superintending everything. And so that's what begins to dismiss this debate in one sense of saying long earth or short earth. We know God is God and he is sovereign. And we all agree with second Peter that says a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is, 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 it a, is as a day, which is an ultimate expression of how God is transcendent. Mm -hmm. And he is timeless. And so uh, so that in that sense, we are bringing people to a humility before God as creator. If we're bringing up creation 
um, uh, thematically. But I, I would also agree with you in terms of the issue of redemption uh, and the gospel. When we're evangelizing people, we're basically bringing them to the crossroads of their need for a savior yes. and, and the need to repent of sin. And I think it is very important. We've all been protective of the fact that a, there is, there was a historic literal fall mm -hmm. that put us into a fallen world and we inherited sin. We were born in sin and we're culpable for Adam's sin. And so we have to be redeemed from that um, where I think we would get a little bit, you know, not necessarily different, but maybe a little bit different in terms of how we say the same thing. And that is, you know, the, the, the fall brought in death and, you know, for, for our position, death wasn't before the fall in any sense, but it was, it was there. And then there is an ultimate redemption in Christ that is both spiritual and we all agree with that. And then there's a physical redemption and we agree with that, but the emphasis of, you know, the new heavens and the new earth and it being physical and and it being uh, literally a, as I believe, it's, you know, the earth is going to be burned over with fire. And then um, the new heavens and the new earth begins, Genesis 21 and 22. And and that that literal physical reality, that often is a comforting part of the gospel to uh, to people. And I mean, you've put up you know, the different uh, cherubs on your, what, Christmas sermons or Easter sermons, your different, you know, Hallmark uh, cherubs oh, yeah. and yeah. harps and clouds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once we once we get into the fact that we're actually going to be, you know, boots on the ground celebrating with Christ and living our lives and having different roles in a future that's without sin and death, but it's physical, I think that's very compelling for your unbeliever. Hmm. And, and I would add to that one, one more, one other factor that, that would make me go there because I, I agree with everything that you've said from a from a salvific standpoint. Um, it, it's not a gospel issue, but but with for person me personally with family members that 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 don't believe in Christ, the but but who who would be willing to accept uh, some type of inferior gospel. Um, to me, the other issue is the authority of Scripture, mm -hmm. and and what what ends up happening, and, and why I would go to and 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 uh, emphasize this would be because I I sense that this person has um, divided allegiances as far as what they see authority as. Uh huh. Sure. And so that that would be where I would I would say, yeah, this is worth. This is worth arguing about because it's the difference between are you going to believe the scriptures and let that be authoritative in your life or is is science and, you know, without going, you know, I'm just mentioning evolution for the sake of the, your average person on the street. Sure. That's uh, is that authoritative and that that to me is a big issue is is the authority of scripture they're not going to accept the gospel if they don't see scripture as authoritative and that might be the only window in i know it is in in, in my family context that's the window that's the thing that's keeping them from accepting christ is is they can't see the bible as anything more than a human book uh with all of the traps the trappings of of uh of being human and
where do they point to first? Genesis one. Yeah. Uh, so that that would be the the other exception is a, is is a, the authority of scripture. Sure. Right. And my fear there, my competing fear is that. You know, I would hope we would all say if there are hard truths of Scripture that we are convinced of, we cannot dodge them. So when it comes to uh, the existence of hell or something, sure. however unpalatable in our culture, I would hope we would proclaim it faithfully. I think for me the divide comes in being uh, unsure that Scripture in its authoritative, inerrant form demands that interpretation. And I think it is an equally great tragedy if we would keep somebody from considering the claims of the gospel because they think a part of that is believing a certain view of creation. Because, I, I mean, there are people in our church who believe in evolution. Um, I don't have any need to talk them out of that as long as their foundational authority is Scripture and they're reckoning with that. Um, and Maybe I'm going to push my orthodoxy a little too far there, but... You know, I don't know that our first goal, or even any goal, is to convince somebody um, of a certain interpretation of Scripture if we are not convinced that is the only possible interpretation. And I think that's where we might differ a little on, is this, in that sense, the only possible interpretation. Yeah, guys, could you hold up really quickly? Right. Uh, our elders are calling an emergency <laughs> session. Uh, Mark's, Mark's going to have to excuse himself for just a quick moment. Um, and he's going to be back um, never to finish that thought. No. <laughs> no kidding, of course. All right, guys. Well, we um, we are uh, severely over time, um, but good. it was it was such a good discussion. I wanted to yeah. to keep it rolling, and um, we'll be a little long this week, but that's okay. Yep. Um, I think uh, being June and being our hot topic month, uh, it's it's good to have it a little longer, but fully uh, get both sides of the argument out there, and um, hopefully um, for people to understand um, more than. Um, this debate, which which it is, it's a huge debate among um, Bible believing evangelical Christians all over the world, um, is the importance of the gospel, mm-hmm. um, and so just keeping that in mind as we as we discuss these issues, um, let's remember um, you know to to keep the gospel first and foremost. Um, so we're going to go ahead. We're going to sign off now. Um, Nathan and Jeff, thank you once again for joining us, um, thank and you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, gentlemen. Thank you guys. We just rocked the Casbah. The young Casbah and the old Casbah. These guys are 11.